you can you can be seated. We okay? Thank you so much, worship team, for leading us on those songs. Um, you know, the thing about, about worship is that the power of the way that we sing, how we sing, the music should match the power of the message. And thank you guys for modeling that for us this morning. Amen? Wow. Well, let's take our Bibles and go to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy beginning in chapter 2, verse 22, and we're going to look at a topic this morning in our series, You Asked For It, on the topic of evangelism. And that's telling other people about what Jesus has done for us, what He's done in our life, and what He can do for them. So here's, here's the question that was asked. How do you witness when they don't want to listen? How do you witness when they don't want to listen? So we're going to address that question this morning from 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verses 22 through 26. And we're going to address it with kind of this cover. Evangelism, integrity, and social skills. Alright, so what we'll do is we'll read the passage and then we'll break it down and see what the Lord has for us. So read along with me if you have your Bible. And if you don't, there should be one there on the seat. If you don't even have a Bible, man, that's our gift to you. Take it home, read it. Verse 22, 2 Timothy chapter 2. So flee youthful passions or youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So here's what we want to drive home this morning from this passage. That is in evangelism. And again, evangelism is when we share our faith. When we tell people from the Bible who Jesus is and what we've seen him do in our lives and the lives of other people. In evangelism, the only part of that that should be offensive to people is the message of the gospel itself, not the way that we do it and not our personal skills or lack of social skills. We okay? Alright, so what we're going get, to get to this morning is this question that often when we give the, the question and we ask, why aren't more people listening to the gospel? I want to pose this question to you this morning. Do you think it's possible that some of us, in the way that we treat people, and in the way that we interact with people, do you think it's possible that you and I could have a hand and them taking the earmuffs and putting on the earmuffs. Just ponder the question for a moment and go with me here. Have you ever known of a person who, who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ, but they're just so abrasive, they're just such a jerk that nobody wants to be around them? And, and they say they're all about evangelism, and I don't know what I'm supposed to do here this morning. I've got folks in front and behind. So the choir's backing me up today, at least I hope so. 
Like we've all known that person that's so quote-unquote passionate about the Bible and for accurate teaching and making sure the Bible's clearly explained that they just rub people the wrong way no matter where they are. And it very well could be that sometimes when we even ask the question, why aren't more people listening, that before we answer that question, we should come to the Word of God and take a long, hard look in the mirror and say, God, is there something in my life that is causing people to put on the earmuffs? Now, Jesus does warn us about casting our pearls before swine. But what I've seen a lot of times in church is that we automatically assume someone doesn't want to hear the gospel and their hearts are completely hardened to it, but it very well may be the fact that they have come into contact with a church member who claims to love Jesus but doesn't love people and they see the lack of love and they say, well, if that's what it's all about, I don't need that in my life. And then we come away from it thinking that they don't want to hear the gospel. So, what, does, what impact does the Bible, the passage that we just read, what impact does what we could say maybe integrity, character, and social skills have on evangelism? Well, notice there in verse 22, the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy, who's a young pastor, he says, flee youthful passions. In other words, flee sexual immorality. If we were to back up a few verses in verses 20 and 21, The Apostle Paul gives a picture of vessels, of cups, bowls, dishes. He says that there are some that are dishonorable because they've not been cleansed. The Apostle Paul is saying, Timothy, to win people to Jesus Christ and to see your friends and family get saved, what you've got to do is flee sexual immorality. If you've read your Bible for any amount of time, you say, now, Jeff, I thought that we were supposed to struggle and fight against the flesh. You know, there's several mentions throughout the New Testament that we are not supposed to try to tame the dragon of sexual immorality. Let me give you several references here. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. The Bible says, flee immorality. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4, verse 14. My beloved, flee from idolatry, 1 Timothy 6, 11. But flee from these things. And also in James chapter 4, verse 7, it says, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You remember that story in the Old Testament about Joseph? He was in, he was in captivity, he was a slave, and his master's wife got the hots for him. And she came to him, guys, day after day after day. And she did not give out hints. She just came out and said it. She said, go to bed with me. Now, she was Potiphar's wife. Potiphar was a ruler. So probably in that day and time, the rulers had their pick of whomever they wanted. So it's probably safe to say that she was not an unattractive woman. Let's put ourselves in Joseph's place, guys. We've been betrayed by our own family. Our own brothers sold us into slavery. And by many standards of guys' understanding of the world today, that would be called catching a break. Are we tracking? Like I'm catching a break here. You know what Joseph did? When she finally, that day, she just couldn't handle it anymore because the Bible says that Joseph was well-built and handsome, that she grabbed a hold of him, guys. Now, time out. Before Jesus saves a man, that's called 
I'm going to go brag to my friends. Like, dude, not only did she not give out hints, she said this, and one day she couldn't handle herself anymore because I'm just so much man, and she just grabbed a hold of me, and all the guys are giving this guy high fives. You see, that's pre-Jesus. Cool guy points. But once Jesus comes in, once God is the God of a man's life, Joseph said, I, I've got a flea, and he ran out, and she tore off his cloak. He didn't sit there and try to debate and say, now, now excuse me, Mrs. Mrs. Potiphar, Mrs. Hot wife of my boss, Potiphar, let me give you five reasons why this would not be conducive to a good quality life in ancient Egypt. He didn't do that, guys. He just ran. And the Bible's telling us here, and, and by the way, the point, and it leads up to verses 25 and 26 to where it says maybe through these things God would give someone repentance and they would be truly saved. What the Bible is telling us, especially men, is that when we compromise our life in such a way to where we don't flee from sexual immorality, it will compromise our integrity and it will destroy our witness. Let me just say, say a word here. Um, I am 35 and in my generation, cohabitation before marriage is normal. The common illustration is before you buy a car, you need to test drive it. You guys have heard that, right? That, that, that's, that, that's the reasoning process. People are not cars. Whenever there is a union between a man and a woman, like C.S. Lewis says, it is something that is to be endure, eternally endured or eternally enjoyed. God has created one man for one woman to be together for life. And what happens is, is this happens uh, more times than many of us would be willing to admit that people claiming to follow Jesus Christ will cohabitate before they're married, and then when the pastor calls them out on it, he gets in trouble. Whenever godly friends step in and say, you know what, let's talk about this, what, what the Bible has to say about it, they're the ones who are called judgmental. And let me just say a word from the Bible here this morning is that, guys, if you are living with your girlfriend before you're married, you are showing you do not respect her. Okay? You say, well, well, what makes you say that, Jeff? It means that you so little value her honor and her purity that you are willing to broadcast to the entire county or anyone who sees the pictures of both of your cars there all night on Facebook that her purity before God as a daughter of God is not very high on your priority list. That's called hashtag fail for leadership guys. You say, well, we do it to make ends meet. As a man, it is on you to provide. Jeff, are you saying, it is so quiet in here. You say, Jeff, are you saying women should not have jobs? No, not at all. But if you're relying upon her to pay your rent, you need to figure out something different, and then you ask a woman for her hand in marriage the proper way. That way you're not dragging things into marriage that don't need to be there because marriage is hard enough. Statistics are coming out from secular studies now that cohabitating before marriage, this is even outside of what the scripture says about what it does to us, it's a very good recipe on how to get divorced. 
Because the very foundation, go with me here, the very foundation of the relationship has been planted on something that is other than commitment. When you put a ring on the finger, that says to her, that says to both families, that says to the Facebook world, that says to the entire community that I am putting all of who I am in this person's care. I am committed to them. But cohabitation means that it's an easy out. If it doesn't work out, we can just separate. And what happens is that when people claiming to know Christ live together, and then they try to invite their friends to church, lost people see through that very, very clearly. And if that's your case this morning, I want you to know that God loves you, I love you, this church loves you, but if you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to move apart until you get married. All right? Now guess how much, guess how many high fives we get for saying that? Very few. Do you know how many church growth books that is in? I don't know of any, Don. But it's what the Bible says because God is serious about you and I enjoying what he has given us through Jesus Christ. Cohabitation, even if you don't, guys, um, having sex with your girlfriend before you're married is waving the flag to the world that I don't have integrity and I take the Bible not serious at all. So when you talk to them about Jesus and they don't want to listen, maybe that could be part of the reason why. Not only that, but the Apostle Paul says, flee from these youthful passions, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. What he's saying here is pursue in your life the character quality of Jesus Christ. Love, faith, Peace. He's saying pursue these things. Do not let these things simply fall into your path. But when you get up, pursue those things for your life. You know, there's a lot being said today about good social skills. But good social skills may just be another word for the character of Christ. You remember what Jesus was called? He was called a friend of whom? Sinners. Now, Jesus, the perfect Son of God, was considered a friend of sinners. That meant that he spent time with people that were so far from God, they didn't even come to the synagogue and temple anymore. It very well may could, it could have been the case that Jesus loved people so much that he was enjoyable to be around. That Jesus loved people and the fact that he was there and he was able to make people feel loved because he is Jesus, he is God in the flesh, the one who is love. You see, with Jesus, it's not his person that repelled people, it was his message. And there's a great parallel for those of us that want to see our friends come to faith in Jesus Christ, that we love them and we say, God, help me to show love, help me to be a person of peace with people who don't know you. And not only that, he's saying there in verse 22, to spend time with people who are learning about Jesus. Spend quality time with sincere people who are seeking to follow Jesus Christ. It's been said many times that evangelism is more caught than taught. It means that if you want to find out how to share your faith, you get around people that are serious about sharing their faith. It's kind of like guitars, and to see the guitar skills that were displayed this morning to the glory of God on this stage, it was awesome. 
You say, well, Jeff, I want to learn how to play guitar. What I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to look at some, some tutorial videos on YouTube. You can learn a lot about guitar that way, but if you really want to learn how to shred, you hang around people who know how. If you really want to learn how to get every bit of horsepower out of that vehicle that you've got and you're restoring so that you can take it to the Callaway track and that whether you win or lose, you end up in a fist fight. And if you're not from this area, there's a long good history there. Right? I mean, if you want to learn how to really get in there, man, you, you, go, you go to those shade tree mechanic hangouts and you talk to some of those old war dogs of, well, we'll just go there, of the moonshine days in Franklin County. If you really want to find out how to make cars fast, you go with the people that know every bit, every angle, and they've lived in those lanes. What the Apostle Paul is saying is for God to give people repentance, he often uses us spending time pursuing people who call on the Lord from a pure heart. And not only that, he's saying in verse 23, he says to win people to Christ, to be a good evangelist, avoid foolish, unnecessary controversies. Verse 23 says, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. You ever known church people to argue about anything? I know you guys haven't, right. But some have. And often what happens is when we're trying to win someone to the truth, we can begin to argue about things like the age of the earth. Whether it's young earth, 6,000 to 10,000 to 30,000 years old, or whether it's the classic Big Bang model, what is it, 15 point something billion years old, all of that, or whether there were dinosaurs on the ark, or whether Noah rode one onto the ark. I actually saw an advertisement one time about that. And that's just awesome. You say, how much is that poster, sir? That needs to be part of my life. Another, another discussion, and it's crazy when this stuff comes up. Like you're talking to someone about becoming a follower of Christ, they're interested, and somebody says, well, should Gentile Christians be able to eat pork? And all of a sudden we're talking about bacon and sausage, and this person's wondering if the resurrection actually happened. And somebody steps in and like, hello, McFly! Like you're killing me, Smalls. It's crazy how these these, these issues, these controversial subjects that don't lead a person to Christ can come up. Or the, the subject that many years ago was a big deal in church, the issue of dress code. You say, Jeff, what should Christians wear? Clothes. They should wear clothes. That's what they should wear. Whether it's a suit and tie, jeans, shorts, flip-flops, or a robe like Obi-Wan Kenobi, it does, just wear clothes. But it's absolutely, guys, if we just take a step back from the serious church world choir, we have to laugh at ourselves sometimes to see how big some of these issues have been in the past. And then we can go a little bit further. Should a leader in the church have facial hair or not? Years ago in, in some churches, it was, you have to be clean shaven. And we have to say, well, then Jesus couldn't preach in the church. And then who should be a pastor of a church? 
Should he have a master's of divinity from seminary or should he have a doctorate? When we start putting those types of restrictions often, again, Jesus couldn't be the pastor of the church. So what the apostle Paul is saying, he says, have nothing to do with foolish, verse 23, foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. You see, now, Jeff, the person that I'm talking to about Christ, they seem to throw these things out. Whenever I try to talk to them about Christ, they want to talk about Darwin. Whenever I try to talk to them about the gospel, they try to bring up the Crusades. Something that you and I, brothers and sisters, have to pray for is God-given wisdom to identify the red herrings and the smokescreen fallacies. In other words, there are some people and they will try to get you off track. Because if they can talk about the Crusades, and if they can talk about Darwin, and if they can talk about all of these issues, they don't have to deal with their own sin, right? And the gospel circumnavigates the intellect, or those intellectual arguments, I should say, and goes straight to the conscience. So we have to pray to say, God, give me wisdom not to bite at every piece of bait they throw me, but to stay on the main track. Another verse that I'd encourage you to write down if you're taking notes is 1 Timothy 6, 4-5. through 5. The Bible says he is puffed up. This is speaking of the person who loves controversies for controversy's sake. He is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and depraved of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. An unhealthy craving for controversy. Let me ask you a question. How many, how many church experiences have you had to where you and your family have left because the people at the former church were not what they should be. You know, I found something interesting about church hoppers and shoppers is it's never them. We still okay? And, and here's, the, here's the conversation, just so you know, that we, that we normally have at Rocky Mount Baptist Church. When they come, and the first words out of their mouth when I say, well, do you have a church home? Well, we did, but those son of you know, Whoa! I mean, maybe not that much, but it's pretty close. And it's just like this vitriol and spit begins to pop through the teeth and just this redness comes over their face. And I say, look, before we ever entertain the thought of you coming to be a part of this faith family, I have to love you in Christ and tell you what Jesus says and that you first need to go make restitution and forgive those at your former church. And probably ask for forgiveness for your attitude. Because if we just simply bring you in here, we're not allowing you, we're not helping you to deal with, with what is crushing your joy. Often eating away at the relationships that you still have. So if you're a church hopper and shopper and you continually bounce from church to church and it's always them, I beg of you to look into the mirror and say, God... Could I have been a part of that? Because with people who shop and hop and shop and hop and shop and hop, there is one constant, 
in all of those variables, and it's you. And it's you. Different church, different dress style, different people, different deacons, Sunday school leaders, elders. But if they all have a problem, then could it be you? That's why the Bible says avoid these foolish and ignorant controversies because lost people look at us and if they see Jerry Springer, but the only difference is that we wave a Bible, that may be a reason why they put on the earmuffs. Verse 24, he says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. Quarrelsome. Why aren't we quarrelsome? Because it says that we are the Lord's servant. It means that when we tell people about Jesus Christ, we're trying to lead them to the kingdom of God to give themselves to Christ, not to be converted to us. And often when we have conversations with people about the gospel and we're debating, we can have the tendency to want to win the argument. True or not true? And sometimes in the back of our mind, we're wanting to lay down that one-liner from the Bible and just throw it right after that and say, burn. May God give us mercy and say, when we are talking with people, that we are passionate, but we are not quarrelsome. A good question here that we would do well to ask ourselves, myself included, is do I find people constantly avoiding me? Or wanting to spend time with me? Let me ask that question again. Do I find people continually or constantly avoiding me? Or do I find people actually wanting to spend time with me? If we're finding that people avoid us, it's very possible that we are a jerk who simply carries a Bible. I know this is a tough word. But this is from the text. He says, do not be quarrelsome. But notice, here's where it shifts in verse 24, the last part of that verse. It says that the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but, here's the good stuff, but be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. What it's saying here is that we should be kind to everyone, especially the EGRs, which is extra grace required. And we all have EGRs in our life. And in fact, when we have grace and when we exercise mercy and forgiveness and compassion to those people that seem to suck the very marrow out of our bones, it means that whenever we leave, we are drained by them. It's, it's like they, they have some type of life-sucking force and we say, oh Lord, not them again. But the Word of God says, to be patient and kind to everyone. And when we correct people, verse 25, to do it in gentleness. And if you haven't noticed, we're in an election year, United States of America. And I know that, that Bible-believing Christians are passionate about what the Bible has to say about sexuality and the family and about children and about the unborn how they have been made in the image of God, and we should be passionate and we should be truthful in that when we interact on social media. But I, I would ask of you, as, as my brothers and sisters in Christ, that before you post something on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, say, Lord, does this advance your kingdom or will this cause someone to put on the earmuffs? 
Because you know what the world is full of? Angry Christians on social media. And everything that is posted is negative. Even if it's true about a certain politician or a, or a pseudo-leader. Remember that say if a lost person looks at my feed, would they see a person who is filled with joy? Yes, yes, compassionate, and yes, convicted about the right things. But do they see a person that is filled with joy? Or do they see a person who has a purely negative bent on the world? And if they see that we have a purely negative bent on the world and we're the angry online ranter, then what do you think, they're, what do you think they expect when we say, I'd like to talk to you about Christ? They often think the same thing. When I got saved, I was 19. I was very, very awkward. And some say, Jeff, nothing has changed. At all. I mean, guys, I, I don't know. May, maybe some, there's, there's some great conversationalists in Rocky Mount Baptist Church. You guys are just good with people. Now, there's talkers. You know what a talker, like haters going to hate, talkers going to talk? You cannot stop it. They will literally talk to anything and anyone about anything, and they cannot shut it down. That's why they marry quiet people. They're like, honey, I think they're done, Right? But for me, I, I had always found it really difficult to, to have conversations with people that I didn't know really well. When I was at church, if none of my friends were around, I would go find a, a seat and kind of sit there and just look down. Students, that was in the day before cell phones when you could act like you were texting somebody. Like I had nothing. And I, I was so self-conscious, but once the Lord changed my heart, and I said, man, I, I'm supposed to, Jesus has given me a charge to go into all the world and make disciples of every nation. So that means that I've got to learn how to talk to people. True? And so I, I went to the college bookstore, and, and I checked out, uh, this is the, the library rather, the book by Larry King. How to talk to anybody about anything, anywhere. That's when you're digging at the bottom of the barrel. I just got to say, man, I, I was just looking for ways to, well, how do I engage somebody that I just meet? You know, I was there in Palm Beach, Florida. If I'm surfing and I come down, you know, out of the water and I put down my board and there's somebody right there, how do I start a conversation about Jesus? Or if I go to make a visit with the visitation teams at church and I knock on the door and they open the door, I don't want to be like Napoleon Dynamite. You know, just like avoiding eye contact and then they feel weird and they just shut the door and act like nothing happened. Like that had been enough. I had experienced that. So I'm like, I've got, Lord, help me. Help me to learn how to talk to people. So what I did is I started reading on how to have conversations. Seems to be a very silly subject, but I'm telling you, when we're able and God helps us to engage people and we ask them questions, they often open up about themselves because if you haven't noticed, most people in life are pretty big fans of themselves. And if you can get people talking about their family, who they are, what they love, where they work, their degrees, often that enables the conversation to lend itself to them listening to what we have to say as well. And that's when it comes to the conclusion in verse 25, the latter part of 25 and 26. The Apostle Paul says, all of these things taken together, not us trying to do these things out of our own strength, 
but asking God to enable us to engage with people, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. He's saying through these things, God can give them an understanding that, verse 26, and that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. What he's saying here is that a person who's not given their lives to Jesus Christ is without their senses. And before we bring this to a response time, uh, if, if you're here with us this morning, you say, man, Jeff, this is the first time I've been to church in a long, long time. We're really glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. If you've been here with us for a long time and you say, Jeff, I just don't think that I'm to the point of giving my life to Christ yet. To, to decide to wait is to decide to say no. And none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. We don't put getting saved on a calendar. The Bible tells us right here that God grants repentance. It means that when God is working in our heart, showing us that he's really there and showing us that he actually loves us and he sent his son Jesus to die and suffer and bleed and be tortured to death brutally on the cross, but he didn't stay in the grave after they took him down off the cross. He rose from the dead showing that he was actually legit. He was showing that he was the one who fit within the framework of all of those Old Testament ancient prophecies. And it's a demonstration to say, whoever will may come to me and I will save you. That is, that is the call of evangelism this morning. Do you know the Lord? You say, well, Jeff, man, I've made a lot of mistakes, you know. Whether it's those mistakes you talked about at the beginning of the sermon that just kind of made us all uneasy about, you know, whether it's cohabitation or girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever it may be. We say, Jeff, I've made so many mistakes in my life. Listen, the grace of God is greater than our sin. And that's where it comes down to an issue of faith. Do I really believe that God is a stronger forgiver than I am a sinner? Because if we can be really real and we just lay it all out on the mat, some of us can sin pretty good. No show of hands. It's like, Jeff, I'm not bragging about this, but if sinning was a degree, I'd have like multiple PhDs. I mean, all of it combined. Listen, the grace of God, his ability to absorb what we have done and to forgive us and love us and change our hearts, that transcends everything we could ever do to the point that one of the thieves on the cross said, Lord, will you remember me? And Jesus granted him repentance on the cross. That is the greatness of the love of God. And so if you've had bad experiences with people in the past in church and you have put on those headphones but God in his grace and those earmuffs is slowly taking them off, I urge you to listen to the voice of Jesus and come home to your heavenly Father. Let's bow our heads and, and close our eyes. And what we're going to do right now is we, we have a moment to respond to the Bible that's just been, been taught. And what we're going to do is we're going to stand in just a moment to our feet and we're going to sing a song and as we sing, we're going to open up this area at the front for you to have an opportunity to come and, and pray for people that you know who need Jesus. People that you've prayed for, people that you've shared the gospel with. Why don't you come? Say, God, please, I beg you, grant them repentance. There may be some of you who say, Jeff, I need to give my life to Jesus Christ and I need to connect and come home and with Rocky Mount Baptist Church. God has led you here to unite with this church. Why don't you come? Some say, Jeff, I, I, I've needed to, 
to follow through in believer's baptism, why don't you come? We'll set up a time to do that. Father, as we enter this time of response, we ask that you would take over this response time and this invitation and help us, Lord, to look to you and say, Father, what would you have me to do? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to our feet as we sing.